0: Of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Those are verses 25 to 28 of Psalm 102, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, June the 25th, 2021. I'm John Green, and I'm the host of this show, Faith Seeking Understanding. And we are studying today. We'll be in the book, continuing in the books of First Samuel, the book of Acts, and the Gospel according to Luke. Yesterday, remember, we talked about jealousy, and that jealousy is the is the root of um, it, it's. It's the root cause of failure spiritually. If we fail to be satisfied with what we have, if we fail to give thanks for what we have, if we want more and we want recognition, then what happens is is that, that we become jealous and then we set about getting whatever it is we feel we deserve that we don't have. And we get to the place where we're jealous of other people because they can do things we can't do, for instance, or they, can, they, they don't have to stand out, be different, and all that. They can be like everybody else, and we want to be like everybody else because we understand the reality is is that if we're not like everybody else, then we'll face some sort of persecution. And so we, we don't want anybody to get ahead of us, and we don't want to be like everybody else. And so we're jealous in two different ways. Jealousy in the church can manifest itself in, in among the clergy as one seeks for uh, higher positions, for instance, in the church. Uh, it can manifest itself among lay people wanting different roles in the church or higher or what they consider to be more important roles in the church. And Jesus flattens all that out and says, just serve one another. It's as simple as that. Just serve one another. But that's the jealousy aspect will bring things down because we put something else first. And that's really the issue is, is what do we have first in our lives? And, and that's where we have the, the problem is, is we've set our positions or we've set something else first in our lives. And when we do that, then everything begins to tumble down after that. As long as we keep in in sight that Jesus is our king, he is the reason for everything in our lives. All the hope, all the joy comes from knowing him. And so as long as we're in that place, then we're safe and we're, we're doing well. But then after a while, what we, we'll begin to see is people want to become clergy because, well, they seem to have the important positions. And if, you, if clergy can certainly get into that that mindset. And so we've got to be careful always, always, always to not be seeking out position. It, it, and in spite of that, it can still go wrong you can you can we have to have the eyes to see the truth about things. And so what we see in in this first lesson here today from 1 Samuel is, is there was a man of Benjamin, and then we get Kish, and that's Saul's father, and we get his entire lineage there. Um, and he was a man of wealth is what we're told. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward he was taller than any of the people. It's, it's, he's a guy you couldn't overlook. He was a handsome young man, not a young man among the people of Israel, more handsome than he, and then he stood head and shoulders above the rest. I mean, he's the guy that if you're going to choose a king based on appearances, Saul's that guy. David apparently wasn't even that guy for his father (laughs) who didn't bother to bring him in when he knew Samuel was there to anoint a king. Even, even Jesse looked and said, well, it's one of these boys right here. And then finally, he gets to the end of it. He said, don't you have any other? Yeah, well, but he's out there among the sheep. I mean, he's kind of a weirdo or whatever. He, he you know, No, it couldn't be possibly him. But, but then David turns out to be the man after God's own heart, the one who is the greatest king in all of Israel, the one from whom Messiah will come, a king like David who will sit on that throne forever. And so <clears throat> with Saul, he, he looks like the, the made-to-order king. You want a king? Well, here's your king. He's the best-looking guy and the biggest guy. He's exactly the man you want. And so what we get is this story of the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And he sent Saul and his servant to find them and go and look for the donkeys. And they passed through the hill country of Ephraim in the land of Shalisha, but they didn't find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. And then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but didn't find them. And so they come to the land of Zuf, and Saul said to his servant, come on, let us go back, lest my father... Cease to care <laughs> about the donkeys and become anxious about us. I mean, he's a good son, right? I mean, it's, it's not like, hey, I, I, I don't want um, to, to let my father's concern about me override this. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. And then the servant says, wait, but there's a man of God in this city, and he's a man who's held in honor. All that he says comes true. Let's go down there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we go. And Saul said, but if we go, what do we bring him? For the bread and our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? Remember what it said about Samuel's sons? They were men who took bribes. If you get a word from the Lord, the, big, the somebody one time I can remember a question being asked, what's the difference between a prophet and, and a, a fortune teller? And the answer should be, one of them does it for money. I mean, that's the quick way to determine which is which. Are you a person of God or are you charging for it, for what you have to offer? And if you charge for it, then we already have a problem. Because if the Lord's telling you something, then then he didn't tell you to go seek out money to get that or to give that word. And so the servant said, well, I've got a quarter of a shekel of silver and I'll give it to the man of God to tell us our way. And so Saul said to his servant, all right, well said, come, let's go. So they went and they got there and they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them is the seer here and they're happy to help Saul because he's big good looking he's everything you could want right and here we are at a well and so we get these Jewish men going to wells man they meet women there all kinds of crazy things can happen ask Jacob ask Moses and then ultimately ask Jesus when he goes to the well in Samaria but here they say yep he's ahead of you just ahead of you hurry He'll come just now to the city, and they give him all this information about where he is and what he's doing and where he's going. And so they find him, and they go, and as they're entering the city, they see Samuel coming out towards them on his way up to the high place where the people were offering sacrifices. It, it's, he is, is he a prophet for hire? No, is the answer. His sons were, but he wasn't. He was a true man of God. But Saul's presumption is is that we got to pay this guy to tell us what we need to know here. It's an odd thing, but you can see the setup coming, right? Because God said, "Give him a king," and then you know, in a couple of days, he fulfills the prophecy that he gave to Samuel about this king that he's going to show him. And it's obvious he's the big, good-looking guy. But what's obvious to men it is frequently. Not true and not right. It's the reason God tends not to pick necessarily the firstborn, which is the sort of the, the birthright. No, well, not with God. You're not my firstborn. And so he, he chooses whom He wills, and sometimes those people don't look quite you know like the the studs and the, um, the ones that, that you would think God would choose it's an interesting thing you know to see who god chooses and and one of the things that he does in choosing the disciples when jesus comes is that he chooses these fishermen well they had already not been chosen these men had had grown up around the synagogue and around seats of learning, they were pursuing knowledge concerning the kingdom of God and the coming of the kingdom, and yet they had been not accepted into the great rabbinic schools, therefore that's the reason they had other occupations. They had not been chosen by the rabbis as particularly able men. You know who was? Saul, who we know primarily as Paul, because in Greek, Saul actually means a little boy who swishes his rear end when he walks. And so Paul is a much better word. Now Saul in Hebrew means asked of God. But Saul in Greek sounds like a word that means a little boy who swishes his rear end when he walks. So that's the, the difference between the two. God, God didn't rename that man. No, he changed his name to a Greek name, Paul. So, but Paul was chosen, and so he did serve under the best rabbis, so he wasn't available to Jesus. Jesus basically said, I'll take the B team, and then I'll turn him into the A team. And that's what he ended up having to do with Paul. He ended up having to take Paul and turn him into something totally different from what he was trained to do in so many ways, because what he could do is argue with the Jews because he knew the word and he knew the rabbinic teaching. But, but what he wasn't completely geared to do was apologetics for Jesus that the Messiah had actually come. He was equipped to move and, and work among the Gentiles, however. And so he did have certain qualifications that would have made him the one that you would think most people would have chosen on the front end. But no, there was a humility that had to come into Paul. That humility that was no longer jealous for place. And he was willing to take and, and receive uh, persecution for the name of Jesus. He saw the humility in Jesus, and he said, that's what I want to do, is that I want to be the guy who who, um, humbles himself in that same way. And I want to be the guy who's a servant to all. And so he made himself a servant to the Gentiles, but a servant to the church as well. And so here in this uh, gospel lesson, we see Peter, right? So um, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers, it's like, well, does that mean that you were given, you gave me over to Satan, that he would sift me like wheat? Because what you said is when you have turned again, which is clear that what Jesus is saying is you're going to turn on me. This is the way it's going to go. And Peter said, no, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter. And it's odd because he called him Simon in the beginning. And here we've got Peter the rock. And Jesus is explaining exactly why he's not. I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. And then he begins to say, when I sent you out the first time, you had no money bag or knapsack or sandals. Did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He said, but now it's different. It's different. Let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered among the transgressors. He said, things are getting ready to change. It's getting ready to get ugly, fellas. Things are going to be very different here in the next little bit. And and he says, um, what's written about me has its fulfillment, which means it's about to happen. And, and they said, look, hey, here are two swords. You just see Jesus' head slump into his chest at that point, right? All right. It's enough. You know, they missed it. They missed the point. They missed the whole thing. They think they're going to fight a battle. They still have that kind of messiah in mind. That kind of messiah that says that that um, we're gonna we're gonna take this thing by force. And Jesus has just told them the exact opposite of that. And they missed it entirely. And we know they missed it entirely because they don't take up swords for the rest of their lives. They take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So we know that Jesus wasn't issuing a call to arms here. That's not what is happening at all. And so, But, but we see Peter, the one who thinks he is strong, the one who thinks he is something, Jesus says, you're going to fail me. But he's not going to reject G- uh, Peter because of that. He says, when you've turned again. When you've repented, strengthen your brothers. That's a powerful thing. And where does his strength come from? His strength comes from exactly where Paul says his strength comes from, and that is in weakness. Peter's strength will be his weakness in the fact that Jesus raised him back up after his own failure. He knows that his strength isn't in himself because he's going to find out that it's not in himself. So for the rest of his life, he has to live with that remembrance while at the same time knowing that Jesus forgave him and restored him. But Jesus tells him and he promises him that in advance right here in this lesson. And so here we go, continuing on with the Acts lesson with Stephen, continuing to give sort of the history of Israel. And it's a particular kind of history. And what he's pointing at is is that they have always rejected the one God chose. right? So that's what happened with Joseph, was his argument from yesterday. And now here... Um, But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, and there arose over Egypt another king who didn't know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive in the time Moses was born. And he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And then we get all the things that Moses does. And then at 40 years old, Stephen says, he decides to go out and visit his brothers. And he sees one of them being wronged, mistreated by an Egyptian slave master who oppressed the man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. And he he thought that at that point he could walk into leadership there, that they understood that the people would understand that God was giving them salvation by Moses' hand, but they didn't understand that at all. And the next day he sees two Israelites fighting, and he tries to get in the middle of that. And the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, who made you ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at that retort, Moses fled and became an exile, where he became the father of two sons, which means he was rejected by the people as their leader. And that's the problem when when, um, God speaks to Moses at the burning bush and tells him to go. He says, when when they ask me who sent me, what will I tell them? And that's when he says, tell them Yahweh sent you. He knew they were going to ask him who sent him. Because that was the question they asked before. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Well, God ultimately makes him ruler and judge over them. But he says, that's not even enough. I can't just tell them that. You're going to have to give me some signs that authenticate me as your chosen leader. Because I've already been rejected by them. And he's going to be rejected by them other times as well, right? I mean, they're they're going to want to overthrow him. Even his brother and sister are going to want to overthrow him. Even the sister who is the one who put him in the bulrushes and the one who, who came and said to Pharaoh's daughter, hey, let me go get you a midwife. Let me go get you one to nurse this child. So she saved him and protected him during that period of time, but then later she's going to challenge him and challenge his leadership. And the people are constantly going to be speaking against him. So that's Stephen's argument, and this is his particular history that he's telling and how they've always rejected the leader's god set over them. And so how do we deal with that? How do we how do we deal with that jealousy in our own lives that rejects the ones god's set over us as leaders in the church or otherwise? And how do we deal with our own position within that? Do we overestimate our strength like Peter did? Or do we rely on him in all things and for all things? Do we do we stretch and reach and and strive for position or do we do we accept and rejoice in what God's given us.